This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. There's a lot of muscling to do when you are depicting someone who really lived and breathed on this earth and that you're responsible to in some way, to craft their soul in some way, to not, to not lean into mimicry. So I think maybe it, it feels like the triple axle of work for an actor. For an actor. You're like, okay, I'm really going to try to land this triple axle like five times. <laughs> and, and, then, and then lean into a double lutz. That's what right. it feels like. You're, yeah. you're like, it's kind of impossible to do, yet what a thrill to try to figure out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Awardist, where we are chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year, and we're breaking down the state of the 2024 Oscars race. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and returning to the podcast this week is EW Editor-in-Chief Patrick Gomez. Hey, Patrick, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Barely recovered from Grammys, but uh, we're doing all right. Oh, well, I was going to ask, we'll get to that in just a second. I mean, gosh, the Grammys, we're, we're trying not to like float away here in Los Angeles. Uh, so much going on. Um, I want to give everyone a little tease coming up later in the show. Uh, I just uh, spoke the last few days with first-time Oscar nominee Coleman Domingo. He is a Best Actor nominee for his performance in Rustin. Uh, he had quite a year. He also starred in The Color Purple. Uh, and then coming up, he appears in the upcoming movie Drive Away Dolls, and he stars in the movie Sing Sing to be released later this year by A24. I'm so glad they bought that out of uh, the Toronto Film Festival because it is uh, it is a stunning performance by him. And I think we will be talking about him in the next awards cycle uh, for his work in that film. Uh, he's also going to be starring in the Michael Jackson biopic as Jackson family patriarch Joe Jackson. And he is writing, will direct and star in a Nat King Cole biopic. We talk about all of that stuff. Uh, got in a lot with him. Uh, so stick around for that a little later. But first, yeah, Patrick, let's do it. The Grammys. Um, give folks a little recap here. Uh, Taylor Swift was the um, big winner of the night in terms of the big award. She uh, she did not win the most trophies of the night. I think that was actually Phoebe Bridgers who um, won as part of uh, their collaboration with SZA and then won three uh, as part of Boy Genius. Um, so huge congrats to Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, that is quite a feat this year. But Taylor Swift um, did win the big award of the night, Album of the Year, the only person ever to win that four times. Um, as you, like the, you know, the, I don't know if tension is the right word, but the excitement was mounting in um, Crypto.com Arena where you were. I was sitting at home on my couch because I was sick, but I guess that worked out nicely because of the rain. Didn't have to deal with that. Um, could was there a certain energy? Like, did did you did you feel like people thought she was going to win, or did we think maybe it was going to go to like Miley, who had already had two wins that night? I think it was. Uh, I think everyone assumed that because it was going to be historic and and all of that, that like yeah. momentum was behind Taylor. Like people kind of yeah. wanted to have that history making moment. Um, but I mean, the whole night was, was full of energy. I mean, starting with Tracy Chapman and I mean, oh. well, starting with Dua, who was, who was great, yeah. but, but the, the night really took a special feel to it. The minute Tracy Chapman came out yeah. because that just like, it brought people, I mean, honestly, it, it 
got, I got emotional and was like, why am I getting yeah. emotional? And then I started breaking yes. down like, wow, it's just great to see, particularly like with the world, the way it is right now. Um, you know, two very different artists from two very yeah. different times um, up there and for Tracy to be getting her flowers. And obviously it was fantastic to see her go number one yeah. on some of the charts um, yeah. the next morning uh, with her version of Fast Car. So so that I think just also put put like everyone in the room in, in a very like celebratory but reverent mode. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that just really kept the ball rolling there. Uh, everyone I was talking to after the show was saying, how in the past i feel like the grammys have either skewed to in terms of like catering to an audience they've either skewed like 90 percent like older mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. or they go the opposite direction and do all these artists that a lot of people that are watching are like who i've never even heard of this person and i <laughs> felt like sunday night was such a great mix of artists that might be not as familiar to people and also like legends who might not be familiar to younger viewers. I was talking to um, some people yesterday uh, and they watched it with their kids and they like didn't know who Joni Mitchell, you know, it's like, it's, so it's, it's also mm, great that like mm-hmm. there was opportunities for education in both directions when yeah. usually it's just one. Yeah. Um, although yeah. I do think back to that time that everyone was like, who's that old man performing with um, Kanye? And it was, oh. uh, Paul McCartney. Yeah. Um, so you know, yeah. moments of education are good for the children, uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, but also, yeah. but also for the adults in the room because you know there there are some names uh, that prior to their nominations I was not familiar with this year. So you know, education all yeah. around. Right, it works both ways. Some of the older folks in the audience may not know who Olivia Rodrigo is, and they got to see her smear blood all over her face and and wonder what that was all about. What's funny um, is in the room we couldn't see all of that. Oh. So we all were like, wow, that performance was really like subtle and small because we were, you know, like not close enough. So we weren't seeing sure. everything that was making the cameras. So yeah. she kind of just stood there and sang and like touched her face, but we couldn't see all of that from, mm. from, from mm-hmm. where we were seated. And so uh, it was interesting to hear everyone be like, Oh, that was, and we all were like, what? Um, so yeah, it's interesting, of course, how much stuff is produced specifically for the camera. And I, I was even, there were some shots uh, I was watching, like a, at the end of a performance, you know, they would take a wide shot of the stage and stuff. And I kind of felt bad for everyone who's sitting there because the camera guys are right up in the artist's face so that they can end for TV on a close-up of them. But I'm like, anyone who's sitting there watching, they can't even see the person who's singing because of, you know, the production that's going on. But um, I wondered that a, a couple times, um, you know, if stuff, if it just didn't read uh, to to you guys in the arena, which, you know, I, having been there in the past, I, I there are certainly things that didn't play right um, for us in person. I, I wondered that too about Joni Mitchell, like because of how her, t- her chair was turned uh, with her back to the audience at first, was that like, was there any moment at first of like, wait, what's going on here? Where is she? No. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's interesting because sometimes the cameras, what the camera is showing the audience at mm-hmm. home does show on big screens, but it depends what the shot is because they don't want it mirrored in the shot that you all see at home. So sometimes right. we do see it. Uh, and so in that moment, we kind of all, saw it and then the chair turned so that was a really cool moment miley's performance was electric uh, i mean mm. just literal mic drop that was yeah just incredible <laughs> yeah. um and uh i mean fantasia Bruno bringing oh. the house down uh that was amazing as well 
Yeah, that, um, okay, well, first I want to say Tracy Chapman, yes, agree with you. I, I did not expect to get emotional during that. Um, and friends, we were texting and, and right away friends were like, um, okay, what are these, what's this um, moisture falling down my face that's not rain? Um, <laughs> I didn't expect that to happen. Um, and I do appreciate so much that they didn't, um, that they that they let the song live and breathe as it is, that they weren't trying to, you know, truncate any of these performances. Same thing with Joni's song. It's not a short song. Um, and they let her, have you know the full moment with that uh with that um number as well um the in memoriam i'm going to be very honest watching it home at first because there was also a little bit of a technical glitch right at the top of it they accidentally started to play um a, a segment that was supposed to run a little later like you know some of the video that shows a bunch of people who passed away in the last year um so on tv that that was kind of a weird thing at first too but um i also just thought that that whole in memoriam was a little like sloppy is the word I'm going to use. And then once we knew that we were like, we were at the final moment, Oprah walks out and was like, okay, here we go. It's the Tina Turner moment. I was like, Fantasia is about to show everyone how this is done. And my God, it was, oh, it was just, it was thrilling. The thing I will say as fun as all of that was, I felt like a lot of the performances ended up being about the person who was performing and not the person who was being honored. Yeah, I mean, yes, I, I don't disagree. I think there's an argument to say that they were homaging and celebrating and that sort of thing, particularly Fantasia. But but yeah, uh, it, it, in the room, everyone was like, these are interesting choices for the in memoriam because they all were they weren't as like somber as usually they choose right, a song to right. be. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think really what would have been the icing on the cake of the Tina moment, bring out Regina Hall and Sandra Bullock in Miss Congeniality 2, full Vegas showgirl, Tina Turner mode. I don't know what made me think of that as I was watching. But anyway, um, yeah, so the show, there were so many great moments uh, of the night, um, lots of highlights. And if uh, folks are still catching up on the show, but I suspect you are at this point, you can definitely check all that out at EW.com. Um, okay, uh, one other winner I do want to talk about, uh, actually a two-time winner that night, Billie Eilish and Phineas, their Barbie song, What Was I Made For?, that took home two Grammys, including Song of the Year, Billie Eilish, very uh, kind of dumbstruck up there on stage, not knowing what to say, um, seemingly, you know, did not expect that win. That said, two wins for that song. Um, do you think that essentially at this point cements that song's win at the Oscars? You know, I mean, this whole time I thought it was cemented. And then there was this surprise Critics' Choice Award win. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of started to love the idea of I'm Just Ken taking it. Uh, and I, so I was like, oh, I don't know. There's that momentum for it now. Uh, but I do think that this probably solidifies that it's that was just a fluke and we are going to mm -hmm. end up. And, and, and I'm, I'm sounding disappointed, but that's only because I allowed myself just like the idea that like, yeah. that song could succeed in that way. Um, and it's tough. It's, it, you know, I, I always want to give more credit to a song that is actually performed yeah. in the film. I agree. But while Billy is not shown on screen singing that song, like that mm -hmm. song is also a huge part of that movie. Oh, yeah. In a way that it's not just playing in the background. Like it, it, mm -hmm. it, it is that moment as much as the visuals are. 
Um, So, you know, I I keep wanting to give more credit to I'm just Ken, but I I really can't discredit uh, what was I made for um, because it it ultimately serves pretty much the same purpose uh, in terms of moving a story forward. If ever I'd love to see a tie at the Oscars, let's like just give it to both of them because they they are both so perfect in that film. And I'm just Ken. Like it's not just a like it's not just sung in this. I mean, it is a it is a real moment. It's such a long part, uh, you know, that production and the dance and everything that uh, that goes into that. And you know, of course, there are, there are songs every year that because these are categories at the Grammys. Um, you know, a, a song from a film and the soundtrack and the score; those are all Grammys. Um, and Perhaps in other years, I wouldn't be so quick to think like, oh, these wins at the Grammys mean they're definitely going to win at the Oscars. But because this song, also Dua Lipa song um, from Barbie, because they got main um, Grammy nominations, you know, in the big categories, I feel like the fact that they did win for writing the song that, yeah, it just kind of goes hand in hand for me in that way. Um, one more thing I want to talk about here, someone who does not expect to win at the Oscars and is just happy to be invited to the party. Sterling K. Brown was on Graham Norton. Uh, incidentally, um, uh, Coleman Domingo was on that same episode. Um, I want to play a little clip here where, uh, Graham is going through the various nominations for Sterling's film, American Fiction, and Sterling's hot take on, uh, the Oscars and, and who is going to win. Have a quick listen here. Uh, also up for Best Picture, Adapted Screenplay, Original Score. I yes. mean, this is big. We got five, yeah. yeah. And this is such a sweet spot, I think, because, you know, your work has been recognized, which yeah. is great. And it's before the actual, the night. Right. So it's just all to enjoy now. Yeah, yeah. there's no losing yet. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll happen in its own due time. Coleman will probably win. I know that I'm not going to win. Really? Yeah, and I'm fine with know it. that. Totally fine with it. Totally fine with it. Guys, don't Listen, I'm going to tell you. Okay. Robert Downey Jr. is going to win. And he's incredibly deserving. He's an incredible actor. Like, you should give him love. And the fact that I get a chance to be nominated along with him and Mr. De Niro and Ryan Gosling and, and Ruffalo, I'm just happy to be in the room. Yeah, on the night, this will all be very humble, but... Uh... <laughs> I can't believe I won. I, I... Um, I mean, I, I, on one hand, I certainly appreciate that. Then you're not like building up hype and you're not like, oh, could it happen? But I don't know, what, what's your take on that? that? That someone's going to be so like blatant and out there as to say, oh, like, just forget it. We know, we know who's winning our category. I, I mean, look, there's been times that Sterling has walked into a room uh, at the Emmys and known he's going to take home a trophy or at least have a strong inkling. So I think he knows what it feels like to be a front runner and, and to be like in contention. And I would venture to guess um, while he was likely thrilled and look, we put him on the cover of EW's awardist yeah. uh, as part of our American fiction uh, awardist issue. Um, so we were, I, I'm thrilled that he got it and he was part of the conversation, but I'm, I'm venturing to guess that he was actually surprised to even get the nomination mm-hmm. um, and is looking at that as his win. Um, and setting realistic expectations for himself. That being said, it's like, you know, you do want everyone to be like, no, I really want it. But at the same time, like it is kind of refreshing <laughs> yeah. to be like, y'all, it's, it's, it's literally, <laughs> right. it, it truly is an honor to be nominated. Um, yeah. and, and I think that that vibe is endearing and very, uh, you know, you and I both have had the opportunity to meet Sterling in real life. Yeah. And that is very much his, his vibe is just, 
very chill and 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 uh and like gracious and gracious and yeah. and so all of this is is part of that uh my favorite sterling k brown memory which is apropos to nothing in this conversation um other than it was an award show um it was at uh the um television critics association's awards a few years back and he and Kristen chenoweth got up on stage and performed for good uh, and it was just like, yeah, what? I forgot like, about that. Where's this skill been um, hiding? So uh, anyway, he's just great. And that was a yeah. weird uh, tangent to go on, but I'm excited that I would share it with people. Oh, well, I mean, it, it fits in somehow. We'll figure out the connection um, as soon as we're finished recording. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I love that he said that. And he's, you know, it, it's, it's uh, like you said, he, he's so thrilled to have the nomination surprised. I, everyone, I think, had them on their surprise list. Um, but also, it doesn't mean he's not deserving. He's so good in the film. Um, but yeah, he kind of um, made a very, you know, 11th hour surge um, in, in the race. Um, so you know what I will say to see him I, in there. I will tell him he's just as likely to win as De Niro. And so to be able to say that about Honestly. yourself, to say that about yourself is is got to feel pretty good. Yeah. Um, my last question. Do you agree with him? Do you think it is a lock that Robert Downey Jr. will win or could Ryan Gosling Pull an upset. I mean, I almost feel like there's more of a shot of of the two of them splitting and there being a random third oh. winner. Like oh. that's almost where my head goes is that hmm. those are clearly the two that are most in contention. And could there be some sort of weird split there? But I, I feel like that won't happen. Like in the way that they vote, it's all so yeah, complicated that, that preferential it's it, system is weird yeah and so because of that probably not um so i i i really do i think it's i think it's downy i mean look, i love a good underdog story and like i'm still i'm still rooting for uh like a surprise best picture win from something oh, and gosh. that's not to say and that's not to say that i think oppenheimer doesn't deserve all the attention and awards yeah, it's right. getting and going to get it's more so just because i love a good interesting uh surprise uh, and um, want there to be like a random holdovers surge or, yeah. Uh, yeah. or you know, Sterling taking this one. So, yeah. so I, I want a surprise. I don't think we're going to get a surprise. Yeah, well, time will tell. Voting doesn't even start for another like week and a half. So, you know, it's one of those things. Anything could happen. Don't think. Well, and that's why I mean, you know, <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and that's why SAG is going to be so important. Like it's yeah. right there in the voting window. And uh, again, you know, like I say, if you give good speech, it's going to go a long way. So if you get an opportunity to get up there on that stage, uh, make the most of it. Yeah, that is so very true. And often the SAG Awards, they do uh, throw in a bit of a surprise sometimes. So that does happen first. All right, folks, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, my interview with Coleman Domingo, the awardist will be right back. Welcome back to The Awardist. This past year, Coleman Domingo starred as gay civil rights activist Bayard Rustin in the biopic Rustin on Netflix. Uh, it is it is quite an interesting story about a man who has essentially been erased from history. He was the architect of uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s March on Washington, uh, but gets very little recognition for it. And this film sets out to correct all of that. So uh, here I speak with Coleman Domingo about that, as well as those other roles we talked about coming up 
lineup for him, playing Joe Jackson, as well as Nat King Cole. So here now is my interview with Coleman Domingo. Coleman Domingo, thank you so much for joining me on The Awardist. Uh, it, it is a pleasure to have you here. Nice seeing you again after uh, being so cold together in, in Sundance. Though we were warm <laughs> in that restaurant. <laughs> we, we were warm in that restaurant. The restaurant was good, yeah. exactly. Yeah, good yeah. Mm-hmm. The snow was coming down, though. Yeah, um, and that was just a few days before Oscar nominations were announced. Of course, it was a pretty banner year for you with uh, things including, of course, Rustin, and then your just incredible work in uh, The Color Purple. But on that, um, I believe it was a Saturday when we were all gathered. Oscar nominations were on Tuesday. Were you Were you nervous at that point? Were you feeling anxious about what might or might not happen? The funny thing is, I, tr- I really do try to make sure that I don't remember any date of when any nomination is coming out. Fair. But for some reason, it started to come up, especially at Sundance. Well, all right. Yeah. You know, there's a lot there's a lot of people like, you know, all right, well, Tuesday's it. Tuesday. Yeah. And I was like, ah, they're putting it in my head. So anyway, so by the time Monday came around, I really was just like, you know, okay, I knew the next day, but I'm like, let me do everything I can to make sure that I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm actually just like, just, you know, I, you know I, I need work focus and all that stuff. So I had a lovely time on Monday night, went to a nice dinner. I was like, yeah. let me just celebrate the award season, you know, no matter yeah. what. Wow. Yeah. And then I really thought I didn't set my alarm because I thought, you know, I'm going to sleep in because if I if I wake up to a phone call, that's fine. If I don't, it's still fine. That means I just get up and go to work. But my body woke up at 430 in the morning. I was like, God. Damn, but I, and I was really awake too. I was like, oh, oh man, okay. my yeah. body knows something that I don't know. So okay. I go into, I'm, I see that my husband's up too. He's like, want me to make coffee and light a fire? I'm like, sure. So he lights a fire in the fireplace in the bedroom and makes some coffee for us. And I decided to, you know, make myself busy by going into my bedroom closet and organizing it because I needed something <laughs> to do. Yeah. Yeah. As I was doing that, it turned into about 5 30. And then I, I can hear my husband listening to the feed. And he was like, oh, shoot, did you want to hear it? I'm like, I'm just going to walk around. You can listen to it, but, you know, I'm going to walk. So I literally walked around the house. I walked down the hall, living room, walked around, came back. I heard Danielle Brooks. They mind Joy Randolph. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. That yelling. And then more categories started coming. And then I was like, oh, I don't know if I should listen to this. And I was vacillating. Then I was like, let me walk into the bathroom. So I walked into the bathroom and started walking around the bathroom. And then I literally hear, with my phone in my hand, I hear, and the category for, you know, that's leading male, yeah. whatever. And suddenly I get a ding from my phone and I see it says, congratulations, Oscar nominee from my manager. And I, with a very dry face, I just put the phone down. And then <laughs> I looked over at my husband because the feed was coming in later than it was. Oh, it was yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was like maybe an eight, eight to 10 second delay. Then I hear oh. Bradley Cooper. And then, and then I hear Coleman Domingo. Now, I'm not feeling anything. I'm just kind of shocked and dry. Yeah. My husband immediately slides down to the floor and bursts into tears. Oh. And then by, and I'm looking at him and I realize maybe I should react. And suddenly I start crying too. <laughs> 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 then I pick him up off the floor and we jump up and down and then uh, mayhem of the day began. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations on it. It's it's so well deserved. Uh, and not to be like Debbie Downer for a second, though, but on the flip side of that, the color purple, only one nomination. Was there like a collective disappointment by all of you involved? The funny thing is we still haven't even collected ourselves together about that. Mm. I just re- I just realized that because I think that, you know, of course, you have hopes and aspirations for the film. Yeah. But you also start to accept what is. I, I'm not a person that 
that that really focuses on on quote unquote snubs. I think because sure. I think well that undervalues the other work of the other performers that you admire. You know, you like it's a small amount, a limited amount of categories, and a film came out later than most. And I think you know it's still being discovered. It's still coming out. It just came out in London. So I yeah. just you know of course you you hope for the best for your baby, but a friend of mine said. Hope for hope for everything, expect nothing. And that's actually the way I sort of like I really live. And so I yeah, I had hopes for it. But yeah. my expectations, I'm like, no, but the film, I it doesn't doubt what I believe the film and the impact it's gonna have and it's continuing yeah. to have. That's yeah. that's yeah. the boy. I love what we made. Whether it's received with accolades or not, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if I could um I never lean into it. But um mm-hmm. it still feels good. I love what's out there in the world. Yeah, well, that's a great perspective and mindset to have. Um, I want to ask about some recent news, if you don't mind. Uh, news that you will be playing Joe Jackson, patriarch, of course, of the, uh, the famous Jackson family, uh, and the musical biopic Michael uh, Antoine Fuqua is directing. I got to ask, this, of course, is a guy who, uh, you know, a bit of a polarizing figure. Um, did, how, if at all, did any of that weigh on you in deciding to take that on? I think because it's a challenge, because he's mm. a polarizing character, I wanted to take it on because I know that there's many public opinions about Joe Jackson that are in conflict of what maybe family members or people who knew him right. um, think or believe. And even that is complicated. I think he's just a very complicated man. And I thought, oh, that's, I'm drawn to men like that. But I'm like, well, I want to figure him out and find out what made him tick. How did he, how did he create these magnificent artists, these worldwide, world-acclaimed artists, because it was a lot through Joe, of, yeah. what, of what Joe did and his impact, whether good, bad, or ugly. I'm not sure, but I know that I'm curious to find out, and I want mm-hmm. to find out what's underneath, you know, you know, the the, the hat and the earrings and the, the gold <laughs> chains and all. I want to find out. So yeah. I think that's why, that's why I'm, I was drawn to it more than anything. Yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm so happy that you were the one doing this. Uh, the Nat King Cole biopic, which you wrote, will make your feature directorial debut. You're going to star in this. Are you focusing on a very specific time in his life? I am, actually. I'm focusing around 1957 when he had his talk show, um, his um, variety show. Yeah. With, okay. um, I don't know. It's, it's such a great time because I feel like my approach to this film is sort of like a... Uh, how can I say it? It's, it's sort of like a Trojan horse. It has all the beautiful trappings of the 1950s that I'm interested in deconstructing. By deconstructing Nat King Cole, I believe I'm deconstructing America. So that's, mm. that's my point of view about this, uh, what I'm taking on. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's a, I've been trying to figure out what would be the first thing I directed as a feature for a long time. And this one just made sense. I've already mm-hmm. had my experience with Nat King Cole writing a musical about him. And this is, you know, sort of a kissing cousin to the musical version of it, but it lives in its own space and in, in, in a cinematic way. Got it. And that one right now, independent financing, uh, a, a, a distributor, TVD. Yes, exactly. Got it. All right. Well, hopefully someone comes along very soon. So then that brings me to, uh, well, that brings me to Rustin, where, uh, of course, you play uh, gay civil rights activist Bayard Rustin, organized the March on Washington. Uh, between, you know, Bayard, Joe Jackson, Nat King Cole, these are all very real people who live very real lives. Is there a difference for you, perhaps a, 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 a different thrill, a different high you get from playing someone who's real versus a fictional character? 
maybe that's it because I know with a fictional character I can build and create and craft based on my own imagination. Right. Now there's some there's a lot of muscling to do when you are depicting a, someone who really lived and breathed on this earth and that you're responsible to in some way to craft their soul in some way to not to not lean into mimicry. So I think maybe it, it feels like the triple axle of work for an actor for an actor. You're like, okay, I'm really going to try to land this triple axle like five times, <laughs> and, and then and then lean into a double lutz. That's what right. it feels like. You're, you're yeah. like, it's kind of impossible to do, yet what a thrill to try to figure out because it does feel daring. It feels like you can fail, you can mess it all up, um, but. I think if you have a curiosity and the way you want to unpack and find the soul of this character, um, I don't know, you, you lead with that heart and that mind and you can and find some gold, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to say, watching Rustin, it's one of uh, it's it's one of these films, one of these performances where I, I'm just watching thinking, God, I cannot imagine anybody else in this role, which makes me wonder how potentially upset you would have been if somebody else had been playing this role. <laughs> Well, to be very honest, there was there was at one time before it was in the hands of George C. Wolf, uh-huh. where I know that you know I, I I had already met with them, uh, the producer Bruce Cohen about talking about it. This is before it was anything real, and then I remember another maybe another name or two was swirling around, and I remember I con- I clearly said, "There's no one else that can play him right now," and I said, "Right now," mm-hmm. because. For me, it was like I understood what he needed in this moment for his story to be told. And I had everything that I, I, I feel like everything I, I, I needed to do it, whether it's my experience as an artist, as a director, a writer, a producer. I knew I had all the tools to attack this role. I don't feel this way about everything. So I'm not that person. But this one, I said, no, I have everything I need to play this role. I have to. I knew I had to. And I, I'm glad that George believed that as well. Because uh, George, you know, by the time it was in his hands, he just he he had to think about who his buyer Rustin would be, and he said he could not get me out of his head. Mm. Mm. Well, uh, all those stars align quite nicely, which really kind of brings me to you know, in the in the early days when uh, this film was premiering at Telluride in Toronto, you of course couldn't be there and, and experience all of that because of uh, the actor strike. Um, so what I'm curious about, and I ask this because. Um, I read you in a, in a recent interview, you talked about how your parents encourage you to be purposeful with what you do. So I, I'm curious, once you got to experience this film with people and talk to people about it, um, how those reactions uh, to, to Bayard and what he did fulfilled that purpose? It seems by some great design that the first time that I was able to be out on the trail for Rustin, was purposeful, mindful, educational. I literally, the moment the strike was over, I mean, I actually, it's it's by the design, I think of not only this film, but also maybe my life as an artist, that I wasn't at Telluride and Tiff and all the other shiny places where it's about Hollywood. I was put on a plane the night the strikes were over to Washington, D.C., where President Barack Obama and Michelle, and Michelle Obama introduced me and, and, and then introduced George C. Wolfe to introduce the film to the HBCU First Look Film Festival, mm-hmm. which is all 18 to 21-year-old Black students. If that isn't purposeful and mindful of like, this is the way this, this is the, the way that we share this film with the world. This is our first yeah. outing together. 
And then it was, you know, I would go to the Library of Congress and I would, you know, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's all, it, it, it's all there. This is the way it was supposed to be the whole time. I was not mm-hmm. supposed to be the, the shiny tastemaker events, but I feel like it's in alignment with my, with my heart and my soul and my, my purpose as an artist. So it yeah. felt incredible. Mm. Is that the first time you'd met the Obamas? No, we met before. We uh, go way back. We, oh, no, we, we, oh, no, we, we, we old met, friends. <laughs> I first met them when, when I went to the White House for another historic film, Selma, when they invited us oh, to yes, Selma. Mm-hmm. And um, I met them when I first met them there. I don't even know if I had a conversation with them because I was just so happy. I just have a stupid smile on my face. That's it. And I, <laughs> I don't know what was said or what was done, but I was like, you guys are the superheroes and I'm here. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't blame you. Um, you, you spoke uh, a few minutes ago about you know not wanting to go into mimicry um, with with the this character. It, here's the thing about Rustin: he has a very specific way of being. The way the way he speaks, his delivery, his tone, his inflection, uh, the, the way he holds himself. So I, I'm just imagining, but of course you tell me, were there a lot of just like private moments in your house, just like you reading things out loud to try to find how all those things like worked in concert with each other? Yeah, that, that's also maybe that's part of what my research was. I mean, I have mm. five months to prepare for this and, oh. and the preparing for his physical nature and, and the way he spoke, his elocution, his mind, the way he spoke with it in a rapid pace, all yeah. that. I had to find and then find a way to do it dramaturgically as well. It really helps out the narrative of the film because Bayard speaks in a higher pitch, readier voice than I have. I have very low resonators. And he was, he was very much a, yeah, you know, he spoke with a very slight British accent of his own design because, and also that's such a character choice, you know, to play. I'm going to play a character who made up his own accent because when I was researching him, his accent and I have a good ear for accents and dialogue uh, and, and dialects. And I was like, what is this dialect? Sometimes he sounds like Catherine Hepburn. Other times, Betty did. <laughs> yeah. other times the Queen of England. I was like, I don't understand what this is until I started to find out, well, he made this up. I found out this, this out from a friend of his, Rochelle Horowitz, who's featured in the film. Oh, yeah. he made it up because he was, you know, he, he understood words had power and he had the power to articulate himself in a way to get people to listen. So I think that he was such an outlier in so many ways. Um, you know, he played the lute and sang Elizabethan love songs. That goes into his character. You're like, oh my gosh, what an, a character to unpack. And then the challenge for me was also to make sure that he was very human and not a caricature. Now, if anyone, if anyone goes into the, any research and they hear Bayard speak, they would think that the, he's, a bit, he's a bit more of a character in a way. But he really was his own creation. So I know that we took strides, me and George C. Wolf, to sort of like, you know, make sure that it was honest and connected to me as well. Yeah. But so I pitched his voice down a couple octaves just to make sure that when I used it, when I did pitch higher, when I did have a bit more of an uh, English flourish or lilt, that it was to a great effect for a scene. So mm-hmm. everything was very conscious. And there are times when the accent consciously falls away because he's being vulnerable and he can't maintain that persona anymore. Mm-hmm. There are times where yeah. he uses it to, to gain the room or to get respect, you know? So yeah. that's, that's what I love. Yeah. Well, and, and what's so interesting too about that is that, you know, uh, your, your buyer is going to be a lot of people's first experience with this guy because he was so always, uh, you know, behind the scenes and, and really has never gotten, uh, never has uh, until now gotten his due really. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And that, and maybe that's the part that, that I know that's so meaningful to me is that the more that my name is amplified as by Rustin, so is Rustin's whole legacy. People can now, I think that after watching our film, people definitely go to Wikipedia and they'll go into yeah. more Google searches and find out not only about Byron Rustin, but also all those other people that were to the left and right of him, like A. Philip Randolph, like, you know, Ella Baker, um, yeah. you know what I mean? Dr. Anna Hedgeman. So that's, that's the great joy. And I think it's one of the rarities that we receive as actors in this industry. You hope for an opportunity like this. You really do. Where you feel like, it is, it is in alignment with what you believe, what you feel, what you hope the world can be in the way you create it. And you're given this incredible opportunity and you don't want to waste it. So I know that I gave everything that I possibly could to this experience yeah. in my career as if it was my last. Yeah. Uh, you just talked about people going to his Wikipedia page and stuff. As you were saying that, I did a quick Google trend search and there is a big spike in interest in uh in this guy uh you can see where he was kind of low and flat and a huge jump and and of course it, it comes down as all searches do but it is still higher though than it was you know uh before that spike so, so, so uh, we, we, we get you know between myself george c wolf barack obama michelle obama bruce cohen <laughs> tonya davis we get a chance to change history with a film yeah. like that we get a chance to do some course correction Someone who is mm. absolutely erased from the history books, yeah. we plant him dead center into his history. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that's so fascinating to me. What what you all show here, because uh, you know the the what in in that time period in that year, the what to do, the how to do it, and in the midst of all of that, people wanting him to go away to you know kind of like you're not the guy to be leading this. Was there a specific thing that was most important to to you and George that were like? You know, perhaps if there were any threats of things like getting cut from the script, that you were no, we've got to keep, we've got to keep this, we've got to keep that. I think there was always that balance of making sure that it was not just this film about um, organizing the march on Washington, but it also included his sex life. It, it included all parts of him. That's that's the making. Of, you know, how someone's trying to navigate having a relationship in the 1960s as an openly gay man and a very, you know, when that was not a thing. Sure. I love that that was also a part of the narrative. It, it, it is great B storyline. You know, someone trying to navigate, you know, all their private things and then how that private becomes public and it challenges your whole world. You know what yeah. I mean? What you can actually do. So I think that, I think that was important. I think, um, I think the way the film was made in particular was very important. It was made mm-hmm. truly, I think, in a very, it really is one of my favorite working experiences ever in my career. Because I, I had the opportunity to to actually guide the film fully with values that I thought were, were important, whether it's about you know, how do we care for each other, being graceful when it comes to time, and finding moments where we can explore and experiment, and also and, and just be kind and gracious. That like, you know, it was my first time as number one on the call sheet, and I know that number one on anyone's call sheet is a producer role. You take care of the soul of the production. That's yeah. just what it is. And I think if you don't understand that, you don't understand how you affect everything, every performer coming in, every bit of um, below the line of the team, and it's all swirling around you. You've got to take on that responsibility and, and understand that the, the way it's made in a large part is because of you. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's a great place to wrap it up. I was just going to ask if you're missing Victor Strand yet. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> After eight seasons, I feel like I gave Victor all that I can give him, and I wish him very well in his, in yeah. his future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations on all that. And I think I told you at Sundance, I cannot wait for folks to see Sing Sing, uh, which you're just incredible in. It's a fantastic film. So, uh, Coleman, thank you so much for your time, and, and congrats on everything. Well, Coleman Domingo, I mean, this guy is just so wildly talented. I mean, we, we got to see him sing and dance in The Color Purple. We know his dramatic chops, uh, and he, he you know, he says he's done with Fear the Walking Dead, does not miss uh, that show or that character. As of right now, who knows? Maybe that could change in, in, he in a couple so, years. He is so good on that show. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, what was exciting about that interview is is obviously it was great to hear about his current projects but i'm also so excited for the biopics that he's going to be a part of and the way that he's looking at them because you know obviously there's there's the michael jackson uh yeah. outside of his music um <laughs> right. situation that that has a lot of people have a lot of mixed feelings about any project that is is dealing with michael jackson and i'm intrigued that that is actually wasn't a was a plus to coleman and not a negative um, I think that that is a good sign in the way that this is being treated by him in particular. Yeah. Um, and and that, you know, obviously Michael was a, is a polarizing figure, but mm-hmm. just as much so Joe very much like is yeah. credited with pushing him in a direction that led Michael down many dark paths. And yeah, I'm yeah. intrigued to see how he how he tackles that. Um, and then, I mean, everything he was saying about Nat, like that's just I can't wait to see it. I can't wait. I know he I, he has so many interesting things coming up uh varied projects um I it, it's interesting to say about someone who's been around as long as he has but this feels like it, it is a real like moment um and uh, I, I hope he is really taking it all in and enjoying it um lots of great things from him to come uh by the way if uh folks you have not seen rustin that is available to stream on netflix and that is it for this week's episode of the awardist patrick thanks for joining me uh, always, forever. <laughs> of course, <laughs> glad to have you. And thanks so much to all of you for listening. If you like what you're hearing here on The Awardist, you can follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We are at EW on X, formerly known as Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. Patrick is at Patrick Gomez LA. We'll see all of you back here next week and every day at EW.com. This episode of The Awardist is hosted and produced by Jared Hall and produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.